I'm going to ruin Christmas today in the very best of ways because we need it. I'm, I am super grateful for a guy named Tyler Staten. He is an expert in the field that I'm talking about today. A lot of the statistics and inspiration that you'll hear come from his work and Man, it's just powerful. I'll tell you, and I've told you this before, um, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you, okay? And today, I'm not preaching you a message, I am preaching myself a message, okay? So uh, you, you receive what the Lord lays on your heart to receive, but I'll tell you, if there is one person in here today who needs this message, it's me. So I don't want you to feel like, wow, he's just tearing us up. I, I, need, I need this. I'm preaching to myself. You all join along and we'll just, we'll, we'll let the Lord speak to us, okay? Um, another thing I'm going to encourage you to do is listen to scripture. The most powerful message that's going to change your life is not based on the preacher, but on based on your willingness to receive it. If you're not willing to receive if you're stuck in your own ways, you don't care what God's word says, you got your own theology, your own life, your own way you're living, if that's, if that's how you are, there is nothing that I say today that is going to have any sort of impact on your life whatsoever. But if you are willing to say, I believe the Bible is God's word, I believe the Holy Spirit is living in me, and I believe God wants to speak to me through his word, I believe we're going to ruin Christmas in the best of ways. Amen? My son's in here. I'm kidding. I'm not ruining Christmas. I'm not the Grinch. I would never do that, okay? All right. Luke 3, 7 through 14 says, when the crowds came to John, the baptism, or to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, who warns you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we're all descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these stones. Even now, the ax of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Next question. The crowds ask, what should we do? What do we do? It's pretty intense. I can't get out of it because of where I live or how I live or who my family is or the family that I come from or the business that I help create or anything. I just, I, I, what is next? What do I do? The crowd says, what should we do? Verse 11, John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Verse 14, what should we do? Ask some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. John the Baptist was tasked with announcing the arrival of our Savior, right? We know John the Baptist, he made the way for Jesus. His whole mission and his whole calling was to come and prepare people to see the arrival of Jesus. You know what is amazing is how many people missed Jesus when he was right in front of their face, 
from followers to his disciples post-resurrection and everything in between from the Pharisees, the temple leaders and the priests in the synagogues, they missed him when he was right in front of their face. There is an old fable that goes like this. There were two young monkeys who were walking through the jungle. And as they were walking through the jungle, an older monkey walked by them and he looked at the younger monkeys and he said, hey boys, welcome to the jungle. And one of the younger monkeys looked at the other monkey, his friend, and he said, what's the jungle? It's a, what's the jungle? What is he talking about? It's a, it's a fable to illustrate a greater reality. And that reality is this. Sometimes we can live so long in a culture. Sometimes we can live so long in a neighborhood. Sometimes we can live so long in a lifestyle. Sometimes we can live so long in Texas. Sometimes we can live so long in something that we don't even realize where we are anymore. We don't even comprehend, and all the while, Jesus is trying to get our attention, and we're worried about catching the latest Black Friday sale. We're worried about making the purchase before we don't get 30% off anymore. Think about this, John the Baptist is tasked with coming before the people and paving the way and saying, here comes Jesus. And the crowd says, okay, well we need to be ready for him. What should we do? And he says, give away your excess. So then the tax collectors were like, okay, well maybe that's for them. Isn't this funny? We do this all the time. We still do it today. Oh, he's talking about those people. He's not talking about me. Tax collectors say, okay, well great, well what about us? And he says, quit being greedy. Quit being so greedy. Quit seeking for more. And then all of a sudden, after that, the soldiers come. And the soldiers are like, okay, you've hammered the crowds. You've dealt with the tax collectors. But we're different. We're the soldiers. This can't possibly apply to us. So what, what should we do? And what does he say? Be content with your pay. How about another story? Mark 10, 17 through 22. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You have the picture. He's coming up, he's saying, hey, I want eternal life with you. I want relationship with you. What must I do to have that relationship? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anymore. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Verse 21, isn't this interesting? Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. If you hear anything today that challenges your norm, your lifestyle, the way you're living, receive it from genuine love. What is Jesus? He says, out of genuine love, Jesus says, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Look at his response. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many 
possessions. Think about the context here. How did the conversation begin? The conversation began with, I want to be in relationship with you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I've honored all the commandments. How on earth can I be closer to you? And Jesus says, take what you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and then you will be with me in heaven. And what did he, he turn? He went from, how do I have relationship with you, to I'm upset because I may have to give away that new bag I just bought. I'm sad because I may not be able to drive that new vehicle anymore. I'm heartbroken and upset because everything that I've just bought from Black Friday till now, if I had to give it up, it would be a burden to my soul. He went from desiring to be close to the Lord to sad because he had a lot of stuff. Let me ask you a question. What if the one thing holding you back from intimacy with God is your desire for your stuff? Is all of the things you love that you have, all of the things that are in your Amazon cart for the future, all of the things that you are longing for in the years to come, all of the, the list of goals and net worth and purchasing and real estate property you want to buy, what if all of those things that you're longing for, would you, would you give them up with a smile or would you be sad? Would you be upset? Would you be burdened? How about another one? Jesus is sharing a parable of the soils. And as he's breaking down the soils, right, he explains four different types of soil. And during his explanation of the soils, he lets you know what happens when seed hits the soil. It's another illustration of how to inherit eternal life. And when he gets to the stony soil and he begins to break down what this soil is about, listen to what he says, Mark 4, verse 18 and 19. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. Jesus is saying the word lands and it touches your heart and it encourages you and it challenges you. But then you leave here and indulging and splurging and spending capture that affection that you once had for the Lord. And all of a sudden there is no fruit produced. There's nothing that comes from it. Twice, he takes eternal life and he compares it to people who are desiring to accumulate possessions in this world. And he is saying, the thing that is keeping you from the life that you are longing for is your want for more, your desire for more, your inability to control the idea that buying the next thing is going to satisfy your soul. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where, moth and e where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. A couple verses later, Jesus defines it even further. No one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved 
to money. Jesus is not saying the only way to follow him is to live in abject poverty. But Jesus is saying if you want his kingdom and you want intimacy and you want the life that he has called you, unchecked casual consumption is very dangerous for you. Just spending without thinking, longing for more, that's the place. Jesus is not anti-wealth. Understand this. He's not anti-wealth. His disciples included fishermen, zealots, and a well-off tax collector. He sat at five-star dinners with government leaders and the priests of the day. He also ate from the scraps of the king's table with the servants in the back room. His followers made up men, women, slave, free, Roman, Gentile, Jew, rich, and poor. Jesus is not anti-wealth. It's never about wealth. It's always about what captures your heart and the desire to accumulate possessions is the desires to accumulate the things of this world. And that's over and over and over again what he's talking about. What's competing with your wholehearted devotion to the Lord? What's competing with your fully submitted life to the Lord? How about another one? Context. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching them about humility and he's challenging the compulsion of the day to become a person of power, to become a person of prominence, to become a person of a high net worth. And here's what he says when he finishes his, his, his sermon. This is what he declares, Luke 14, verse 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Now, we've got to define that word, giving up. That is a Greek word, it's apotasso. It's where we get the English word apostasy from. Here's what Jesus is saying. He is saying, you can't become my disciple if you're not willing to call your possessions a false god. You cannot become my disciple if you're unwilling to say everything in your closet is a false God and everything that you long to purchase in the future is a false God and that desire to have a new vehicle because the old body style just doesn't look as cool and you feel outdated and you feel old. All of those things are apasteo. They are false gods and if you're unwilling to declare them as a false God, you cannot follow Jesus properly. You cannot follow Jesus adequately. Jesus did not call people to give away everything. He called people to freely and willingly give away anything that was competing with their heart in the place that the Lord deserved. That's what he's calling for. He's saying if it is possessions, if it is your next paycheck, if it's your end of the year bonus, whatever it is that is competing with your heart for my affections, freely and willingly give it away. So, question to answer is, who, who are we talking to? Right, isn't that what they did in the beginning? The crowd said, Oh, okay, and the tax collector said, well, that's them, but what about me? And then the soldier said, okay, well, that's good for the tax collectors in the crowd, but what about me? Aren't I different? What about us? Who, who are we talking to? Who are we saying? Let me, let me just read you some statistics. Who are the rich? If your income is over $25,000 a year, you're wealthier than 90% of the world. If your income is over $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world. 
91% of the global population doesn't own a car. Half the world lacks basic sanitation. Two billion people, that's one in four, don't have access to clean drinking water. 828 million people go to bed hungry every night. 125,000 people die daily from hunger. 10,000 of them are children. Just under one billion people don't have electricity in our world. Half the world owns a computer. 7% of the world has a college education and just over one billion people live on less than a dollar a day. I have two cars, four bicycles, and money to pay for an Uber if I need a ride somewhere. I have a home where everyone has a bed. Every room has air conditioning for the summer. Every room has heat for the winter. I've got multiple televisions in different rooms. Every room has electricity. All of those televisions are connected to streaming devices and we can watch whatever we want. I have an unlimited supply of clean drinking water. I have soap, I have deodorant, I have shampoo. Every one of my children has a toothbrush and, a toothpa and toothpaste. I've never gone through a day thirsty without the ability to clench my thirst. I've got a closet full of clothes. Two weeks ago, I bought a hoodie at Marshall's because it looked cool and it still has the tags on it and it's still hanging in my closet, but I spent the $20 two weeks ago because I thought it looked cool. I've got a collection of sneakers. I've never woken up hungry in my life and not had anything to eat. I will leave here today and I will go home and I will open a refrigerator filled with food and I will eat whatever I want based on my preference. And if my preference is not inside of the refrigerator, I'll close that thing, get in my car and drive somewhere and buy food because it satisfies my craving. I have a pantry filled with dry goods goods for months, but I promise you next week I'll be at the grocery store buying a new bag of chips because the ones that we have, nobody wants. I have an iPhone, a iPad, a MacBook Pro, and an Apple Watch, and after church today, I will leave here and I will go indulge in my guilty pleasure, which is a vanilla sweet cream nitro cold brew with light sweet cream that will cost me nearly $7 that could actually get a good portion of the world through an entire week. You wanna know the truth? You wanna know the truth? I'm rich. I am rich. Here's the scarier truth. I am the rich young ruler. I am the one that would be sad if they're out of nitro cold brew today at two o'clock and I have to get something different. I'm the one that would be upset if I came home and the fridge was empty. I am the stony soil. I am the one who all of the sudden I, I hear this word and I'm, I'm satisfied in this word, but the comforts of life begin to drown out that word and all of a sudden the fruit that could have come from that word no longer comes. I am the crowd that John is saying, give it away. I am the tax collector that he's saying, don't be greedy. I am the soldier where he's saying, be content. This is the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. We're living in it and we don't even see it. It's our life. It's what's normal. 
It's what's normal. And here's the bigger problem. Everything in culture is cheering us on and devaluing those that don't accumulate more. Oh, you didn't buy that. I did. Oh, you didn't get a bonus at the end of the year. I did. Oh, you've got the 2007 Tahoe. I've got the new body style. And everything is screaming, you need more. Clayton Christensen, who is a Harvard business professor, he wrote a book, and, and his book was called How Will You Measure Your Life? Guys, you have the, the cover of it on here. It, he, he wrote this book, and in this book, he interviewed all of his former students and colleagues from Harvard. We're talking smartest of the smart, best of the best, accumulated well over several billion dollars of net worth together, okay? And so he interviewed them, and his goal was to find out how and why we measure our life. And when he asked them this question, his whole conclusion of the book is this. You don't have to read it. I'll ruin it for you. He says, we measure our lives by money because it's the easiest way to keep track not because it's what's most valuable. I know very rich people that would give every dime they have to have their child back. I know unbelievably successful people that would trade the multiple companies they built to restore their marriage. I know people who have made more money in five years than I'll ever make in a lifetime and they would give every dime of it away to change a medical diagnosis. But in the weeks, the moments, the days, and the years leading up to it, the only thing they were concerned about was a number. It was a number in the bank account. It was a number by their accountant. It was a number from their CPA to tell them how much they had or what they were worth. And here's culture saying, you're the successful ones. You're the 1%. You're really killing it in life. And then we buy into this scarcity mindset that gets crammed down our throat. Two more days until the sale ends. How many have been getting those emails? One more day until the sale ends. One, 12 more hours and the website has a countdown on it. So you get on and you see there's only 12 hours left. There's only 10 hours left. I got all these things in my car. And then they send you an extra 5% off and all they're doing is saying consume. You need this to be satisfied, to be happy. Take more. Problem is consumerism is a painkiller. It's only masking a pain. It is not healing a brokenness that exists deep within our souls. Listen, this is the jungle. This is the jungle that we live in. Go back to the beginning. We have John, and John is coming, and John is saying, do you want to see Jesus this Christmas? The first Christmas, what is he saying? Do you want to see Jesus? I'm here to pave the way, but here's what you cannot do. You cannot divulge in rampant consumerism and just fly off the handle buying everything you want and expect to experience the joy that comes with knowing the Savior. A season that was meant to be of generosity, of contentment, of, of lack of greed has now become chaos and consumerism to the nines from Black Friday sales to January 1 New Year's sales. And, and, and here are the facts. This is the facts. Listen to this. 
the average home size in America has increased 40% over the last 50 years. The average American woman has 103 items in her closet. In 1930, that was nine. This one gets me. 4% of the world's children live in America, but they consume 34% of the world's toys. The average American family spends $1,800 annually on clothes while throwing away 70 pounds of clothes every year. Americans spend $4.5 trillion annually on non-essential goods. And we know this because scripture says this, money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the, result, is, the, is the root of all evil. And far too much in our culture and far too much in us would suggest that we are in a passionate love affair and it has very little to do with eternity. It has very little to do with our relationship with Jesus and far more to do with purchasing and the comforts of this world. The only time God condemns the rich, catch this, the only time he condemns the rich, three different reasons. Number one is they accumulated it by oppressing the poor. It's the first time he condemns them. Number two, they fail to share in their plenty. Or number three, they fall in love with their possessions. Those are the only times he condemns the rich. If they fail to share in their plenty, if they accumulate it by oppressing the poor, or if they've fallen in love with their possessions. So the question is, do I have stuff or does stuff have me? Do I have stuff or does stuff have me? And if I've been living in the jungle and completely missing the very heart of what I'm living in, hey boys, welcome to the jungle. We're all here, so what on earth do we do? <laughs> what do we, that's what I was asking myself. I'm doing all this study and I'm doing all this reading and I'm saying, Lord, what do I do? Because I can see myself right in the center of this. And I went back to Luke chapter three, our anchor text. There's three things that we can do. Three things that we can do that will begin to break this desperate problem that we have. Number one is this, Luke 3, 10 through 11. The crowds asked, this is the crowd, what should we do, John replied? If you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. The first thing we do to break this cycle and see Jesus this Christmas season is to live and give generously to live and to give generously. 2 Corinthians, 9, 2 Corinthians 9 verse seven, we read this all the time here for giving. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say if you should give. He says you should each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. One of my favorite Christmas stories, Anna and I were in Kansas City. It was Christmas night. I had just gotten a bunch of, no, it was, it was, I think New Year, it was the day before, it was Christmas Eve. 
and we had ju- I had just gotten a bunch of Christmas money. I had $100 cash, and I had put it in my pocket, and we were going to do a movie night, so we went to the store to get popcorn and, and all of this stuff, and as we were there, I was walking through an aisle, and there was this mom who, for all intents and purposes, was a single mom with two kids in the cart, and she was pushing the cart down, and I was looking for chips, and one of her kids reached up and went to grab the chips, and he pulled the chips off the aisle, and he said, Mommy, can we get these? And she said, No, baby, we don't have enough money for that talking about a three, $3 bag of chips. Here I am with $100 cash in my pocket. So I was just burdened by it the whole time. It was just burning in my soul. And I got to the checkout line and I saw her over there and I said, Anna, you check out, meet me at the car. I'm going to go give this woman my Christmas money. And she was like, who is she? <laughs> no. She's like, what? And I remember I walked over to her and I took $100 cash out of my pocket and I put it, I said, hey, here. And I put it in her hand and she looked at me and she said, are you serious? Are you serious? And I remember thinking back on that and I don't think there is a single gift I could have purchased that was worth what God did in my heart through that. I don't think there's a single gift I could have bought for $100 that would have done more in my heart than giving that $100 away. Now, here, I know how this can sound extremely manipulative because I'm a pastor and pastors get bad reputations for being about money and everything else. So hear it from me. You don't have to give a dime here to this church. If you don't believe in what God's doing, you don't want to be a part of it, you just, you have hesitation or whatever, you don't want to give, don't give, don't give a single dime. Listen, God meets the needs of our church not people. God uses people to meet the needs of our church. And I believe every budget need that we have next year, it could be fulfilled by one person or it could be fulfilled by a thousand people. It doesn't, it's not up to me. I just trust the Lord with it. God's going to meet the budget needs. But here, let, hear me when I say this. If you don't give money here, that's great. Give money somewhere. Give money generously. Give generously. How does he say? The crowd looks at him and says, what should we do? We want to see Jesus. What should we do? Christmas is coming. And he says, give it away. Give and live generously. What can you do? Where can you give? How can you add generosity to your life during this season? Because here's the thing. God unlocks something in us through generosity that cannot be unlocked in consumption. God will unlock something in you through generosity that cannot be unlocked through consumption. Consumption says me, me, me. Generosity says you, you, you. There is something that happens within us. That's why the Lord calls us continually to live a life of generosity. So number one, how do we break this? Preaching to myself, Luke, how do we break this? Above tithing to the church, where are you going to give next year? Where are you going to give more to next year? What are you going to sow into next year outside of what God is doing here? That's where the Lord's leading us. Not just to sow into, and we love sowing in to our church. The first 10% of every dime that we have made from the moment we have been here has been given directly to the church. But now God is saying, just be more generous. You have plenty. You have plenty. What's the second? Luke 3, 12 through 13. Even tax collectors, or even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? Isn't that funny? I can't, I can't get that out of my mind. Oh, he told the crowd what to do, but how about us? We're the ones who control the money. Verse 13, he replied, collect no more taxes than the government 
requires. A common practice of tax collectors in this day was to abuse and manipulate people and collect far more taxes than that what were due. When Jesus goes and eats with tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees said he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners, the most disgusting of sinners. Tax collectors were hated for their greed. They had a job, they got paid for their job, and they manipulated their job and took advantage of the poor because they wanted more. Solomon was speaking in in Proverbs chapter one of people who are trapped, they're blind, and they're stuck in something they can't get out of. And listen to what he says, Proverbs one verse 19. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. Greed for money robs you of life. It robs you of vitality. Anna and I, uh, a couple weeks ago, we went to Plato's Closet to drop off clothes, to to get money for clothes. This is one of those places where you exchange clothes and you get money back. And we had a a big basket of clothes that we brought in there and we set it on the counter and we came back three hours later. And when we walked in, I mean, I'm talking tons of clothes, shoes, bags, all kinds of stuff. And Anna walks up to the counter and they were like, okay, yeah, we got your number. We're going to give you $9 for all your stuff. Yeah, that didn't go well. It's like, What? Are you serious? She's like, give me my stuff back. Now she gives she comes out there, throws it in the back, and she said, We're we're just gonna sell it on marketplace. We'll get 10x that on marketplace. I'm so upset. And I was like, those people are out of their minds. What are they thinking? I can't believe it. And then Anna looked at us in the car, another just Anna win. Aren't you Saint Anna? And Anna says, Luke, we don't need to be selling clothes. We need to be giving them away. We're never doing this again. She said, we're packing up clothes and we're giving them away. And and here is the fact of the matter. Remember, I'm preaching at me, not you. The reason we take them and try to exchange them to get money is so that we can feel good about ourselves when we buy more. Because if they give us $40 and then we go off and we spend $80, they only spent 40. It was actually a 50% discount. It was a real win. I was being responsible. I was being budget conscious. Dave Ramsey would be proud of me. I was doing the, doing the right thing. No, 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 no. Because there was something in us that wanted more. There was something in us that was offended because it wasn't more. There was something in us that was saying, this should be more. Can I tell you something? And I think based on the statistics that I've shared today, this applies to all of us. We don't need more. You do not need more. I do not need more. We do not need more. What was the message to the tax collectors? Quit being greedy. Quit asking for more. Tim Keller and Tyler were having a conversation, and in that conversation, Tim Keller, who pastors in Manhattan, the epicenter of wealth, it is one of the wealthiest places in the world, 25 years in Manhattan, he said, as you can imagine, pastoring in New York, I have had everything under the sun confess to me. I have had people come to me and confess 
nothing would surprise me, but he said in 25 years of pastoring, you know what the number one thing, I've never, I've never had somebody come and confess to me. In Manhattan, New York, richest place in the world, greed. He said, I never had somebody come to me and say, I am greedy. I want money, I have money, and all I want is more. I have stuff and I want more stuff and all I want is more. I've never had somebody confess greed. I haven't either. I haven't, maybe I'll be the first one. There is a greed that can boil up in my heart and I need the Lord through generosity. I need the Lord through conviction and I need the Lord from the last one through contentment to take that greed and crush it before the cross. What's the last one? Luke 3 verse 14. What should we do? Good question. What should we do? Asked some of the soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations. And this is it. And be content with your pay. Soldiers were the ones who had all authority and all power of the day. Think back to the movies that you watch where it's usually the head of the army that betrays the king and goes off and does his own stuff and he's manipulating and he's stealing and he's taking advantage of the poor. He's doing all of these things. That was the soldiers of the day and soldiers were kind of exalted royalty in any sort of government system. They were given housing, they were given food, they were given clothes, they were given banquets, they were given all of these things and so they're Compensation, in addition to that, was usually in the form of salt. The hierarchy of money was gold, silver, and salt. It was the preservative of the day. You've heard the, the Latin word for salary is salt, right? Salt is the Latin of salary. We, you've heard the phrase, you're not worth your salt, right? It's a, it's a phrase and it comes from these soldiers. And what these soldiers were doing is they were getting upset because they had everything that they could ever need and they got a bag of salt and they were saying to themselves, really? You're going to pay me this? You're going to pay me this? Is this it? Paul uses a similar example in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. He says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Both Paul and Jesus are saying, be content with what you have. You have plenty. I have plenty. Plenty. Be content with everything that you have. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul says, not that, I have, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, let this be our testimony, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The most unquoted, uncontextual, tattooed verse in scripture, right? I can do all things from Christ who gives me strength. Contextually, he's saying when I have nothing, I still have something. When I'm hungry, I'm still fed. When I'm worried, I've got peace. 
When I have no clothes, he will clothe me. This is not a triumphant, go be the linebacker for the Cowboys because I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. No, it is saying you don't need anymore. You don't need anymore because Christ is your strength. Hebrews 11.5, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. It's a good one. Yet true godliness, what is true godliness? What does it mean to look and live like Jesus? Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. You want to be rich? You want to be wealthy? When I have a massive kingdom net worth, it's godliness and contentment. After all, verse seven, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. I have been to South Africa a number of times and uh, one time in particular, I remember packing up for South Africa and I had just bought this brand new jacket. It was from Abercrombie and Fitch. Don't judge me, it was 20 years ago, right? Gosh. And it had this massive collar on it. It had these maroon stripes down the side. In fact, guys, I think you have a picture of me preaching with it on and out. Yeah, there's, there is young, more hair, less weight, Luke, right there, right? Um, and that, I was, I was so proud of that jacket. I wore it on the plane. I wore it when I got to South Africa. I wore it all over the place. And I just thought it was so cool. So there was this day where we went to this feeding scheme is what they called it. And it was in this, this absolute slum. And it had children who had abs- no money, no shoes, clothes were tattered. And the, the meal of the day that we were serving was a pumpkin mash. It was rice and it was beans, and these kids would come with these Tupperwares, and they would hold them up, and we would scoop those meals in. Yes, stay there, guys. We would scoop the meals in. You can see his little Tupperware here down in the bottom with pumpkin, rice, and then beans, and he would, they would divide it in half, and these kids are starving, and they would only eat half of it because they knew the feeding scheme only happened every other day. So if they ate all of it now, they wouldn't eat tomorrow. So they'd put it in this Tupperware, they would eat half of it, and then they would close the Tupperware, and they were playing, they were joyful, they were laughing. Isn't that young man, beautiful face? Oh, and so then, here, here I am. I, I remember the moment I took my jacket off and draped it over the shoulders of a little African boy. Remember, he walked up to me, and I was, I was just standing there, and he, he, he was just looking at me, and he took my jacket, and he, he went like this like he'd never seen something like it before. And he was, he was touching it and he was looking at it and he didn't ask me for it, he didn't want it. I think in his heart he knew he'd probably never have anything like that in his life. And I remember taking it off and I remember watching him sitting there eating and I remember draping it over his shoulders and him looking up at me. And I remember thinking in my heart, I want a contentment that doesn't come from the jacket that I'm wearing. I want a contentment that doesn't come from the stuff I have. I want a contentment that doesn't come from the things I wish I could have in my future. I want what he has. Because he had nothing, and yet he had everything. That's contentment. 
Contentment is exactly what Paul said. You may have everything, you may have nothing, but your soul is completely satisfied in the Lord because your longings are not for more stuff. Your longings are for him. Now, I understand this can be a very hard message to digest, and it is for me too. Look, I'm ambitious. I plan on making more money in my future. I gotta write the book first, right? But I, I plan, I mean, I do, but here, here is my prayer, and I hope that's your prayer. I hope you wanna be ambitious and do your very best work and honor the Lord with your work. Here is my prayer, and this is my prayer for you. My prayer is this, that people would see me 10, 20, 30 years from now, and I would accumulate more wealth and do more, and they would say, the more money he made, the more he became like Jesus. The more money he made, the more he honored the kingdom. The more he gave, the more he sowed into things, the more he quietly gave away stuff that he had, the more he bought things for people and gifted them to him who had no idea about what people were doing. The more he made, the more he became like Jesus. We live in a land in a time where we can accumulate as, as way more than we would ever need. Stewardship is this. The more you make, the more you become like Jesus. The more you accumulate, the more you look like him. That is stewardship. Disobedience is the more you make, the less you look like him. The more you make, the less you, you live like him, you talk like him, you act like him, you walk like him. I'll tell you what I'm doing and I don't expect you to do this. I don't. I, I expect you to receive it and ask the Lord what he would have for you. For the first six months of 2023, I am not making a single purchase that is not non-essential. Food, food or drink, that is it. And that doesn't include luxurious coffees, right? Um, I am going to a place where I'm gonna say, I'm gonna prove to myself and prove to my soul that I have plenty that we have plenty, that we don't need anything more and every longing and affection I have is going to be redirected to Christ. Here's what I want you to leave and do. I want you to leave and ask yourself what God is speaking to you. What is God calling you to do? Do you have stuff or does stuff have you?